Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich, and I'm the executive director of AABP. And I'm joined today by two uh, friends of mine who are AABP members. Uh, Dale and Dave, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Dale, we'll start with you. Okay, very good. Well, uh, thanks, Fred. It's uh, it's great to be on with you and uh, and to be on with AABP. Uh, I guess uh, a little bit of my background in education and uh, professional uh, uh, work. Um, I, I grew up on a farm in eastern Nebraska um, and uh, uh, crop and livestock farm. Uh, ended up uh, and then graduated from the University of Missouri back in uh, 1974. And uh, I returned and got a, a master's degree in clinical sciences at Colorado State University in, in 1992. So, but I've been fortunate enough that I've been in practice, private practice, mostly Curtis, Nebraska, for 11 years, uh, and then uh, uh, 12 years in, uh, in industry, and a total of 22 years in, uh, in the university, of which uh, a good part of that, most of that was... Uh, uh, was a position at the Scotts, at Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, the Panhandle Veterinary Diagnostic Laboratory, uh, where I spent a good amount of time in, in the field diagnostic laboratory. Um, and uh, I'm really, really fortunate to have benefited from ABP and its members uh, over over many years. Uh, so I'm uh, currently, I, I guess, more formally, my I have a I'm a professor emeritus with the University of Nebraska. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to have worked with uh, practitioners and cattle producers over over many years, and so I've learned immensely from from all of those associations. Absolutely, I, I think we can all definitely say that, Dale. So uh, we also have Dave Dave Smith. Uh, um, who was on a previous podcast about epidemiology, and we roped him into doing another one with us here today. So, Dave, go ahead and introduce yourself, please. Yeah, thanks, Fred, and it's a pleasure. Uh, I appreciate the invitation to join Dale with this conversation. Uh, so um, I'm an Ohio native. I uh, grew up in southwestern Ohio, uh, went to Ohio State University for my DVM. I practiced for nine years in Ashland, Ohio. Fred, you know that area well. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, then I left uh, practice and went to graduate school at the Ohio Experiment Station before going to the University of Nebraska. I was at Nebraska for 15 years, and, and uh, uh, most recently I'm uh, a professor at the uh, Mississippi State University. And uh, today our topic is managing neonatal scours in beef calves. And uh, this actually was a what Dale did a, a talk at this at our first recent graduate conference, and I've heard Dave do talks about uh, systems approaches, and and there was a message on the Academy of Veterinary Consultants listserv about calf scours, and I've also seen this topic on the Facebook Vet Truck group about managing calf scours, and Mark Hilton and I did a podcast on stop chasing bugs where we. Touched on this just a little bit about managing beef herds to decrease the incidence of calf scours. So I think this is a really important topic, uh, and and it has application all across, you know, really the U.S. and Canada. Um, so let's start a little bit, uh, um, Dale. What's what's the incidence of of uh, calf diarrhea in beef herds in the U.S.? 
Well, Brad, uh, I'm going to approach this from a couple of directions. Um, first of all, overall, uh, there are some survey data that would suggest that about 11% of calves are observed scouring with diarrhea, if you will. Uh, but uh, there's a couple other things that are that are important. And also, I wanted to add there's some some earlier NOMS National Animal Health Monitoring System data that suggested that about five and a half percent of, of calves uh, have diarrhea within the first 21 days of life. Uh, so some range there, but it, I think it gets us in the in the in the ballpark. Um, but I, I think it's important that when when the data are divided down a, a little bit further, uh, heifers calves uh, will will have diarrhea almost about double of of what cows calves will. So the the eleven percent number that I quoted a little bit ago in that survey about 18% of the heifers calves had diarrhea or were observed with diarrhea and cows is about 9%. So uh, just, uh, I guess, a sort of a word of warning of where higher incidence is probably going to occur is usually going to be in heifers calves. But uh, but I, I think that it's important that, that on a herd-by-herd basis, uh, it'll range from zero to 100%. You know, this is... Uh, this is not, calf diarrhea is not a random event. You know, herds possess certain characteristics that lead to higher or level or lower calf diarrhea incidence. So, uh, and so you, you know, herds, some herds just have a higher incidence year to year and on a fairly predictable basis. Yeah, and I think that's such a great point. And that's where veterinarians have that expertise is, is you know, what Dale said there is that the, the, the incidence rate is not random. There are risk factors, which uh, I'm sure we'll discuss today as we get into this podcast. And Dave, let's talk about some of the sequela of, of calf diarrhea. You know, maybe maybe a producer shouldn't be concerned if calves have scours and the mortality is low. Um, what, what are the 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 complications of, of neonatal diarrhea? Well, so, so, um, neonatal calf diarrhea is, uh, the leading cause of death, leading infectious disease cause of death in, in calves prior to three weeks of age. So there's lots of reasons why neonatal calves might die. Hypothermia, hyperthermia, they get injured, uh, consequences of dystocia. But in terms of infectious diseases, Scours is the the uh, the primary cause of death prior in the first three weeks of life. Um, those calves that survive scours sometimes have lowered weaning weights, so there's some performance costs. Um, for many ranchers, it's the reason why they might pick up an antibiotic to treat a sick animal. It's because they're treating calves with with scours. Um, the medication costs are high and the labor costs are high. Um, in, in addition, it's, it's a thing that we don't think about very often, but it's a dangerous thing to go out and treat calves for scours. The, the mom's not usually happy about you grabbing her calf, and every once in a while a rancher gets taken through the truck uh, as they're trying to uh, catch and treat scouring calves. And... Uh, Maybe it's not economics, but it's an important factor. The um, many 
ranch outbreaks of uh, scours that I've investigated, it's the it, there's a high emotional toll on those ranchers as they've worked to get those calves alive on the ground, and then you know within uh, a few weeks of life, those calves are withering and dying in front of them, and, and uh, so it's a there's also a high emotional toll to that, as well as the fact that some of the pathogens that are making the calves sick also have public health consequences and may make the the ranchers sick as well. Yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't know if you've experienced terror until you've been chased by a mama beef cow <laughs> in the truck as long as a white ways away. So good exercise. You gotta be in good shape to, That's to right. do this. So um Dale, what what are, you know, we talked about, you know, risk factors. So let's look at herd risk factors. What are some herd risk factors for, you know, neonatal diarrhea? Okay. Well thanks, Brad. Uh I think, we, well, we've established there really really are not any two operations alike, and each uh, system, if you will, has its own set of characteristics. And I'm, I'm going to review, which makes things very complex. So I'm going to review several very briefly here uh, that, that we know, uh, backed by some levels of research uh, and, and publication. So things like uh, introducing new animals during calving season, puts a herd at higher risk of, di- of having a, a diarrhea or scours epidemic. Uh, calving heifers and cows in the same calving area, feeding cows and heifers together, uh, extended calving seasons. And I think we may get, we hopefully we'll, we'll elaborate a little bit there. Uh, herds with longer calving seasons tend to have more calf diarrhea. Uh, calving more heifers relative to cows. This sometimes gets back to reproductive efficiency. Uh, you know, why Why do we have more heifers in this herd um, may be a question to ask and, and have answered. Uh, lack of immunity and, of course, um, failure of adequate passive transfer in the colostrum. And so, and where we're headed here with the, you know, the Sandhill system relates to older calves uh, shedding uh, back to younger calves. We'll elaborate more on that and also just uh, fresh environments uh, and how important that is. So several several factors there that are uh, that have been researched over some time. Yeah, and, and one one paper that we're going to link in our podcast notes uh, is uh, one that was published in the Bovine Practitioner uh, that both Dave and and uh, Dale uh, published is from the Spring Volume two thousand eight. And it, it's called Population Dynamics of Undifferentiated Neonatal Calf Diarrhea Among Ranch Beef Calves. Really good paper. So we'll link that in the podcast notes, and you can review some of those things that we're talking about today. Uh, Dave, we I recently did a podcast with Dr. Mark Hilton called Stop Chasing Bugs. And I remember, you know, I, I'm a, I was primarily a dairy veterinarian and did a little bit of cow-calf work, very small, you know, almost hobby farms here uh, uh, up in Ashland which you're aware of. And I remember when uh, I, when Walt Guterbach used that term, stop chasing bugs when we were working up uh, dairy calf scours, you know, and focus on management. And so that's kind of the systems thinking approach. And maybe can you explain uh, that, that type of thinking and how we might use that to manage disease on a cow calf ranch and, and what's the veterinarian's role there in systems thinking? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that, Fred. I, I spent a lot of time talking to our students about systems thinking as we're troubleshooting uh, problems on herds. And, and uh, so the systems thinking is about taking a, 
a broader look and thinking broadly about the causes of a disease and trying to understand the system that might uh, benefit those pathogens that we might list or or uh, uh, favor the, the calf's health. Uh, I give an example, a dairy example, actually, uh, Fred. I did a lot of dairy work when uh, when I was in practice. And, and uh, so the example I give, first of all, I ask the students what causes neonatal calf diarrhea. And with a little prodding, they can come up with rotavirus and coronavirus and cryptosporidia, and they can name all of the bugs. But uh, um, then I ask, I, I mentioned that, well, you know, nobody talked about colostrum. And, uh, and then I'll say, and, and in, uh, when we do outbreak investigations and when we're trying to think about systems, we're going to think about the, the fact that the guy who normally gives those calves their colostrum has been called to, to work on the field crew and he's out chopping silage most of the day and he's not allowed the adequate time to make sure the calves are cared for. And that, uh, for our purposes in a systems thinking viewpoint, the, the fact that uh, this guy isn't able to uh, take care of the calves, give them their colostrum because he's out chopping silage, that's the cause that we're interested in. And and so the systems thinking is just broadly thinking about the reasons, what's going on, and what would explain the uh, reasons why the, the bugs get the advantage. There's a, a beef calving lot example I'd give too, just thinking about systems, and it's very traditional uh, in, in many uh, beef cattle systems to have a calving lot and, you know, you you set your alarm and you go out and you check it midnight and two o'clock in the morning and four o'clock in the morning. And, and then those calves that were born uh, overnight uh, get kicked out into a larger pasture the following morning. Well, the, the little calf doesn't, you know, hardly know how to stand up and the, the cow is angry and she's circling the, the calf. And this is exactly at the time period when we're hoping that that calf gets its colostrum, but we're out there on a horse and, and uh, um, trying to create this little whirlwind tornado, the cow circling the calf and trying to get that tornado out of the the calving lot. And and so we actually maybe interfere with the, that calf's um, opportunity to get colostrum, which might then put it at risk for scours. Yeah, I think that goes back to the uh, age-old mantra, first do no harm, right? So, uh, and and systems thinking, it, it's such a great concept. If you're, if, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and this is new to you, um, you know, find some of those uh, um, papers. Uh, we did one at the recent graduate conference that we held in 2021 in uh, um, uh, St. Louis, uh, um, um, and uh, you can you can find that talk. It was Dr. Dave Rethorst. Uh, he did a good talk on systems thinking, and he has a nice proceedings paper, and we'll link those as well. So, Dale, you know that boots on the ground veterinarian. They're often called, you know, when when the calf scours outbreak becomes unmanageable. You know, the the, the producers had several calves with scours. Uh, um, he or she is treating them. Uh, a couple of them die, and then they panic and, and call the veterinarian. So, so what advice do you have for that veterinarian who's called in during such an outbreak? And, and do we need an etiologic diagnosis of calf scours? You know, as Dave mentioned, um, to for for treatment or preventive solutions, does that provide predictable results? If we say, okay, this 
we, we send in this calf, uh, and we post them, we send in the calf, and they isolate, you know, rota and coronavirus. Is that useful? Well, uh, uh, first, a great explanation of how we're often, how veterinarians are often called in, you know, in the heat of battle. And, uh, when they're, when things are, are really in a, in a crash mode. Um, I, I guess your, your question about etiologic diagnosis, um, I think a, a question might be, you know, what would I do differently if I knew? And, uh, and often, uh, I think in the heat of battle, it, often we, if we knew more about it, we, we probably wouldn't be doing very much different. And, uh, uh, but when we maybe start to look at the epidemiologic uh, picture of the pattern of, of the calf diarrhea, if it's, if it's unusual, that might make it more important. You know, I'm not discounting diagnostics there. It's, it's uh, good information to know, but maybe not always essential. Uh, but I, I think you're going to go back up to where you, you kind of started there. You know, when people are in uh, in almost panic mode and very various phases of that, um, you know, I, it, it's important to first first treat the sick calves and uh, to help uh, help along that situation as much as you can. You know, and uh, with the amount of success that that's that's possible. But you know, often. You know, in the in the heat of battle, it's hard to uh, you know draw the whole picture out and and put everything together. So you know, you might start you might be working on on sick calves um, and how you may may handle that situation. But then it it seems it soon it becomes important to well how how do I get out of this epidemic? Um, my you know my my next calves that are that are being born or are are scouring and it's just you know it's just perpetuating here so how do i get out of it uh maybe maybe a next step and so and and these things certainly involve good communications and, and checking with clients to see how their situations are coming along um you know i think dave's gonna or we're gonna elaborate on the sandhills approaches just here in a little bit but uh what we've heard from practitioners over quite a few years now is that practitioners are are often recommending that uh, herds that are in an outbreak situation can often benefit by moving the heavies or the the not calves, cows, heifers in the herd to uh, to another paddock, to another corral, to another pasture, uh, where there's, where there, uh, just to really, where, where exposure levels are especially low to really start to lower exposure, uh, to these calves. And so, uh, that's where we kind of come around here is that moving moving heavies out of that calving area is a benefit. And uh, some practitioners will comment that if they do it twice, they'll move them today, and then in a week they'll move the heavies again and uh, try to uh, recreate the, basically a start of calving season uh, to get out of the epidemic. So that's kind of something to do early on and make plans for that uh, during during the outbreak. Um, and I, I think uh, what what often becomes more difficult is 
how to plan for future prevention. And uh, sometimes uh, during the days of the outbreak is not always the best time to plan what we're going to do next year. So um, what I, I'd suggest to practitioners is it might be good just to, to set up a time or a date uh, next summer when, when the situation is cooled down and people are thinking more clearly and, uh, and make some plans for uh, that next uh, calving season to review what's went wrong and, uh, and what we can do to, to correct the situation. So it's part of planning. It's part of communication that becomes important for future prevention. Yeah, and, you know, I don't think it matters how many years you've been in practice. You know, when I was, you know, plus 20 years in practice and I'd get called into outbreak situations, regardless of what the disease was, and the producer wants to know what is causing this, (laughs) what they're asking for is what's the bug and and then order me the vaccine, right? And it's it's very frustrating, you know, just as David mentioned, you know, well, the cause is, is that they're not getting colostrum. And then the other thing that's frustrating is when they say, well, I've always done it this way. I've always calved all my cows right here in this lot, and, and this is the first year this has happened. And so that can be frustrating for veterinarians to work through and for more recent grads. In my experience, it didn't matter how much gray hair you had on your head, they still didn't like the answer when you were systems thinking. You really have to, and and Dale had some great advice there. During that high-stress emotional time when the producer is losing calves and and being uh, overworked is not the best time to talk about next year. And when we're talking about next year, Dave, that's when we can bring up the Sandhills calving system. So maybe just Tell us what is the Sandhills calving system and where did that come from? Okay, yeah, I appreciate that, uh, uh, Fred. It, it is frustrating um, to try to come up with with solutions. the The Sandhills calving system came about. I'll give you a little bit of history about it. It might explain it better. We, I, I came to the University of Nebraska and there was a, I had found an excellent mentor there named Dale Grotolution. And uh, he was busy uh, investigating outbreaks of, of uh, neonatal calf diarrhea in, in ranches in the Sand Hills, and, and so I joined him on those investigations. And and uh, so what we saw was a common history that the ranchers would say, you know, things started out fine, and then as we moved through the calving season, I started to get uh, um, more more calves that were getting sick or dying from neonatal calf diarrhea. And so with a little bit of investigation, and uh, by the way, that paper that you cited is a good example of, of one of those investigations, we recognized that the problem was that the pathogens are building up in the, in the system over time. And we were trying to think about how could you stop that buildup because things started out well. And what what we realized was that Starting out, there were no calves that were a source of infection to other calves. The cows were the reservoirs. They were shedding low levels of pathogens. So it's not that calves don't get exposed to them. It's just that as you pass them from one calf to the next, they're excellent culture media for uh, growing up more and more and more uh, virus or, or whatever the agent is. So to break that, 
we developed this, what we ended up calling the Sand Hills calving system, which is to try to create the conditions that existed in the first week repeatedly over the calving season. So instead of having an eight-week calving season, we tried to have eight one-week calving seasons. And the way you do that is that you you have cows calve in a, a particular pasture for a week, and then you sort out the cows that are still pregnant, the heavies, and you, and you move them to another pasture. They're, it, that's just like starting over again. They're now calving uh, in the absence of other calves that uh, could be shedding the organisms, and they can calve there for a week. And and then again, the, the, the pairs stay where they were born, where the calves were born, and the heavies move to another pasture. And so you continue to do this every week, creating a new scenario where there are no infective calves in the pasture when you're starting calving. And, and then they all of those pairs grow up in that pasture for the first a month or so when the youngest calf is four weeks of age and no longer at risk for neonatal calf diarrhea, you can start to merge those all of those multiple pasture groups back together again. So that's that's basically it. It's it's a it's a strategy for age segregating calves into clean pastures by moving the pregnant cows. And it's a it's really just, it, it's a genius idea that seems like an incredibly simple solution may not work for every operation, Dale. So are there some other ways to accomplish this and recreate the start of the calving season? We've, we've thought about that some, Fred, and a great, great question. Um, we feel that we've, we feel that the mixing of, of the ages of calves is a, is a major risk factor. So age segregation is is a pretty important is a critical component of what we've done, uh, and also moving moving heavies to fresh calving areas, and thereby reducing or or re- yeah really reducing exposure is important. And uh, you know, are there other ways? And that sometimes I, I'll challenge producers or practitioners that okay, uh, yes, are there other ways that we might uh, might accomplish that? Um, and the same thing. So, because all these calving systems are so different, and yes, there some are amenable to implementing these changes, and others others less so. So we, you know, I, there potentially, you know, there's you know somewhat untested, but uh, there's a uh, sometimes practitioners will uh, do age uh, aging of. Uh, pregnancy gestation, so they're predicting when calvings are going to occur, and then they might group uh, by calving group. Uh, something that if we'd have brought that up twenty or so years ago, it would have been uh, kind of not viewed very very favorably. But I think we've there's some you know, herds have changed a lot and made this possible. So uh, other ways to address it certainly are are important, and I also. Uh, I guess examining uh, the risk factors that we know that are present and can herds reduce their risk such that they it drops them out of a high risk or, or chances for diarrhea breaks uh, certainly also is on the table. And that's uh, that again is, you know, as you're stating, Fred, just this communication when we're 
uh, not in the heat of battle when we can, you know, think clearly and, and make some changes there. Uh, just to comment on, you know, regions of the country or where it can, where this might work, both, both Dave and I have been involved with discussions uh, in uh, multiple states uh, in the U.S. and also internationally. So uh, the, the system itself is, has been applied uh, in con- other countries and many states of the U.S. So I really uh, I tend not to put limitations on, on, on where this might be applied. It's a set of hopefully simple principles that uh, we can think through and, and apply to multiple situations. And I really think that's where a veterinarian can help these herds because if you're a veterinarian and you tell a producer, you know, this is how we're going to get out of the epidemic and hopefully manage this in the future, and they say, well, I can't do that, um, that veterinarian can, can help them figure out how to do it. That's, that's the challenge. Dave, how about smaller herds? You know, the average cow-calf herd in the U.S. is 40-some cows, you know, uh, in Ohio, uh, the, the, the cow-calf herds are very small. Um, what, how can they implement this system? Yeah, so I've had a lot of conversations with uh, smaller herds about uh, doing this, and the important thing is that it, this is not about square footage. So we, we conducted our investigations and tested the system on, in uh, you know, very large ranches in the, the sand hills, um, but it's not about the, the acres. It's, it's about age segregation. Um, so it can be done in smaller herds. Uh, it's a challenge to do in those small herds that have year-round calving because they're just kind of dribbling calves along all, you know, all year round. Uh, often those are not herds that are having the problem because they never have the density of calves at risk, you know, at the age at risk at the same time. Mm. Um, but, but I have had, uh, uh, producers <clears throat> take the land that they were going to devote to uh, calving. You know, here's how much acreage I have that, that cows were going to calve in and, and the calving season is going to progress in this area and just divide that up. It requires a little bit of cross fencing and you have to pay attention to access to water. And uh, in some situations there might be um, problems related to mud or, or other things, but those were probably going to be challenges in those on that land anyways, and uh, you can do it. You can you can uh, move the cows through those series of pastures that you've created, even though they're much smaller. We've done that. Uh, there were trials that were conducted at the University of Nebraska where uh, the the cattle were maintained in, in uh, small uh, uh, dry lot settings, like a feedlot, and uh, we maintained them and for several years, and we conducted the the Sandhills calving system in those dry lots. And I know that there have been large, very large commercial herds that have uh, put their cows in dry lot settings during drought and been able to successfully implement the Sandhills calving system. So it's about age segregation, not uh, square footage. That's a great, uh, great quote that veterinarians can use uh, to, uh, to convince these herds. And Dale, you previously mentioned that, you know, that extended calving uh, season is a risk factor. And is is that a reason that veterinarians should be involved in the reproductive program, you know, nine months before 
you know, such as breeding soundness exams, pregnancy checking, etc. Is that another, you know, tool that we can, you know, say, hey, the reason we need to stage these pregnancies or do pregnancy checks, et cetera, et cetera, is so we can manage this on the back end when the, when the calves start dropping. Absolutely, Fred. Uh, calving season or the calving system that's employed is just, it's a kind of a sub of the larger cow-calf system that that rancher or that, that herd is employing. So, boy, the, the idea of planning and involving reproductive efficiency is is a key factor here. So uh, things like we've already mentioned the potential of, of staging pregnancies, there may be some applications there, uh, but uh, herds with short calving seasons uh, uh, tend to experience less risk, less calf scours, as well as we know less respiratory disease in uh, nursing calves. Um, uh, just, uh, I guess what I'm what I'm saying here is lots of good things happen when we have short calving seasons, with uh, calving distributions that are that are uh, weighted toward much of the herd as much as possible, uh, calving early in the calving season. Uh, so, you know, there there's weaning weight advantages, um, uh, many other other advantages. So. Working with the herd from a reproductive efficiency perspective, uh, testing the bulls, uh, et cetera, where the veterinarian can really uh, come to the forefront in, in managing can really have an effect on, on calf scour risk, even though the, the, uh, the focus really is reproductive efficiency. So a very important area. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that you talked about, Dale, when you presented uh, on the Sand Hill system at our first recent graduate conference was you talked about client communication and the type of client and how that can influence the success of implementing a calf scours prevention program. What did you mean by that? Well, it's important that the client be on board. Uh, with uh, changing, making changes in, in the calving system, and in this case, we're talking about the Sandhills calving system. You know, it, this is not uh, this is not selling somebody a pill or a drench or or an injection. This is a this is a change in in system uh, that's being uh, that's being uh, implemented, and so you know the client acceptance and and passion for making the changes. Uh, is is important, and it's not just it's not just the owner. It's also uh, uh, family members, employees, and everyone that's associated with with that operation. So, uh, planning and staying with the system is is pretty important. And if we're uh, once in a while, we'll be posed a question: Well, what if I just skip this part? Or uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, well, you know, then you're you're kind of uh, you're 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 on your own. And I've I've sometimes I answered those questions. Well, uh, you're 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 cheating the system, and who do you who do you think you're cheating here? Uh, and so uh, anyway, those are I, it's important to have good client communications, and so you can uh, you know impress upon them the importance of of following. Uh, the protocol, and uh, they're going to have confidence uh, that they're going to be successful. Yeah, and that's that's where uh, 
that veterinarian client patient relationship, that veterinarian of record. Um, that's where, you know, she has the direct knowledge of that ranch and can, you know, know that about them. I, I, I remember when I was in practice and I had a dairy producer that asked me to become his nutritionist. I did a lot of nutrition work and I, I told him I didn't think it was a good idea. And uh, he asked me why. And I always, one of the kind of funny things I would do is I would always tell of course, I knew this man for over 20 years, and I and I asked him. I said, "Do you do you do you really want me to answer that question?" Because <laughs> uh, I said, "I'm going to give you an honest answer." And he goes, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, I said it it we will fail because you don't listen to your nutritionist currently, and you don't implement a lot of the things that I suggest for you." So I said, "I think we'll be starting off on the wrong foot." And he uh, he thanked me for the. <laughs> for the honesty and we moved on. But again, that's another point where you have to know, like you said, Dale, you have to implement all of it and you have to, you have to be all in and, and, um, and, the, and that veterinarian record knows the clients that can do that. It's the same thing as developing a vaccine protocol. You can't read it from a book. That veterinarian knows what that client is capable of doing. Um, and so I think that's important client communication and, and their individual nuances, you know, really can affect all kinds of management uh, programs. Dave, you know, what's the veterinarian's role then in measuring the impact of these programs for producers? You know, next year when it rolls around, how can that veterinarian, you know, provide them some data and show them, you know, not just that, you know, obviously the producer may have a impression that the calf scours has improved. What else can that veterinarian give them? Well, so the, you know, the first piece of data the veterinarian can give them is the uh, the staging of pregnancies. It certainly helps if if you've got uh, information about uh, uh, gestation length and you can move cows into the system according to their predicted calving uh, dates. Um, beyond that, once the system is is implemented and you've um, started to keep records to document what you've done, then it helps you to evaluate the system or when the system doesn't seem to work, you might be able to talk about, well, here's why it's not working. It's because you didn't actually move the calves, the, the, the heavies every week. You, you move them every two weeks. And so if, if some of those things are recorded, uh, you can troubleshoot the, the system. Um, you can look at successes by comparing medication costs. Here's what you used to spend on med- medicine to treat calf scours. Uh, here's what you used to spend on, on uh, labor or man hours. Uh, here's what you're spending now. Uh, that should give you some kind of an idea of success or failure. You certainly ought to be able to record the, the incidence of, of scours in, in the herd, and has that changed Um so, so recording things, keeping records about uh, um, health and performance, you know, prior to and after you've modified the system is always a good idea to, to help you understand um, whether what you did had made any b- benefit at all. Um, the other thing about records is that if you're keeping records, it, it implies that you did some prior planning to have a system for capturing the information that was already in place. And, and so... Um, that the, the records don't come by accident. You have to plan for them just as you have to plan for uh, the pastures that are going to be available to implement the, the Sandhills calving system. And and I think, 
you know, those records are so important to encourage your producers to keep, uh, be involved with them and uh, help them set something up, but also review them. That's a great place for the veterinarian. Uh, Dr. John Bollinger at our recent grad conference here uh, in 2021, um, he has a system for shoot side records and, and the reports that he prints. So um, that's another really good talk to listen to on our on our BCI uh, CV portal. Dale, as we close up here, what are some thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with on this topic? Well, Fred, thank you. Uh, there's maybe a, a couple, a few common themes that I might just bring forward. And, you know, these are common to systems thinking. And, uh, and we've, we've touched on these uh, during, during this uh, podcast, uh, prior planning. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of our producers are, can be very traditional. However, I think, uh, you know, we in, in calving systems sometimes are sacred ground, uh, but often producers, when they're when they're presented with results uh, that are not what they want, will begin to open up and discuss uh, some of these issues that they're having. So, Dave mentioned uh, so prior planning is is very important here. Dave mentioned monitoring actions, and I'm I'm going to go back, and uh, Dr. Bollinger's talk was great, and things Dave mentioned, uh, reproductive efficiency, uh, those kinds of measures are, are important and give you a nice picture for, for what calving is going to be. Uh, evaluating success of these, of, of, our, of our plans and our systems that we put in place is, is critical. And uh, really, I guess uh, practitioners are always involved with with studying human behavior and understanding clients better. That's an important component of that. Uh, just continuing uh, good communications and and really showing interest in in working on on problems and herds that are that are uh, valuable to the client and success of the operation. So so relationships between the veterinarian and client are, are really important. This uh, system we've been discussing, again, is not, it's not, it's not about selling meds, medications. Uh, it's, it's not about giving, giving pills. Uh, and so we, this gives you veterinarians uh, better opportunities to, you know, work on a truly preventive mode uh, with their clients. So, and then I guess one, one final reminder here is that, you know, the client really needs to own the idea and, and take the necessary actions to implement and maintain uh, this change in his system, his or her system. And Dave, how about some closing thoughts from you on this, uh, on this interesting topic, please? Yeah, uh, Fred, thanks again for the invitation to participate in this. And, and uh, as we've had this conversation I didn't count, but you heard the word systems over and over and over again. And so this is really a talk about uh, thinking in systems and applying it to a particular health problem in beef cattle. Um, uh, so I can't stress enough that uh, really understanding the, the system that your clients work in and, and the reasons why some of the things that they do may lead to unattended consequences is an important aspect of this. We were talking in particular about the Sandhills calving system, and I just want to acknowledge that uh, that took a number of years of collaboration between university faculty, Dale and myself, uh, 
private practitioners that made us aware of their clients, herd problems, and some really forward-thinking ranchers that let us test those systems in their in their operations. And so I just want to acknowledge that that was a great interaction between uh, a lot of different groups to make that happen. There are still things like that that uh, could be solved with uh, cooperation between veterinarians and their clients and working with uh, university or, or, or other people that could uh, um, help address those problems. And there's a little bit of uh, risk-taking involved. We don't always know how these things are going to turn out, but uh, um, the, the important thing is that there are opportunities to work together to solve problems, and, and uh, I, I want to be an advocate for that as well. So, Fred, thanks for your uh, bringing this topic to attention. Yeah, you bet. And so I would challenge our listeners that when you when you get called out to uh, an epidemic of neonatal calf scours, dairy or beef or any disease, and the producer looks at you and says, what's causing this, doc? Think about the system. Don't think about the bug and, and evaluate whether or not you can use that uh, a knowledge that you know uh, to look at the totality of the system and implement uh, uh, change, both in stopping the epidemic, as Dale said, and in planning for the future. Remember that the first step in antimicrobial stewardship is is prevention of disease. And so preventing neonatal calf scours can significantly decrease the amount of antimicrobials that are going into uh, these animals. And this neonatal scours and beef calves, it has a lot of implications, economic implications, uh, welfare implications, Human health implications, as Dave mentioned, some of these diseases are zoonotic. Mental health implications for producers and veterinarians and, 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 and farm staff. And then, of course, there's financial implications and, uh, uh, that, that go with this in terms of uh, uh, mortality as well as drug cost as well as lower, lowering weaning weights. We encourage you to work with your clients to bring value to their cow-calf herds reproductive efficiency, explain to them how that's going to tie into uh, their system when calves start hitting the ground. And then finally, for me, as an as a AABP member, Dale, Dave, they've both been AABP members their entire careers. Uh, I think the, the best thing about our organization is, is, uh, is the people that are in it. And I have learned so much from just sitting and talking to other members. And so I would encourage you, if you have not been able to implement this system or you or you have a herd that you're having a difficult time with and, and you just, you're scratching your head on how can I make this work at this farm, uh, I'd encourage you to reach out to Dale or Dave. Uh, if you need their contact information, you could send it to me. As Dave said, this this came about through collaboration between academics, private practitioners, ranchers. So reach out to other members of AABP for assistance. Um, and, and, and I guarantee you that other members that have been through it will, will give you that advice. So Dale and Dave, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast uh, and for your work on, on preventing neonatal calf scours. Thanks, Fred. Thank you very much, Fred. Appreciate it.